here we go. Deck 78. Hey, Darren. Welcome back to Deck 78. Thanks. I, it's good to be back. It's been uh, it's been a long time, but uh, I, it's nice uh, to relax and get a few drinks in me. I invite a few friends to join us, if you don't mind. I see that. Yeah, look, look, look who's here. Obviously, uh, Ashley Miller uh, is back, writer of Thor and X-Men First Class, and the showrunner of Dota Dragon's Blood, currently airing on Netflix. And he is drinking a martini, and it is right neither shaken nor stirred. So welcome, Ashley. I know. Well, I, I do. I feel welcome. And uh, it wouldn't be a, a podcast about Andor unless we had Melshi. And look, um, <laughs> Melchie's here. Steve Melching, you know him as a writer for the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels and also Dota Dragon's Blood. And, you know, boy, Kevin Conroy uh, died recently. That was a, it's really sad. Been yeah, that was a lot sad. of old Batman episodes. There's and... no truth in the fact that uh, Steve did something to cause that. No truth at all. <laughs> yeah, that's the next Knives Out movie. Right. So... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, well, Steve Melching, it's good to see you. Also, a uh, co-host on 430 Movie. We missed you. And for those of you who can't see this, but he's sitting in front of the Death Star. I'm wearing my Rogue One crew hat. Nice. Le Star du Mort. <laughs> you know, I, I I got lost getting down here to Deck Sydney, and I had to take three turbo lifts to get all the way down well, here. Well, because you're a Star Wars guy. You don't understand. <laughs> you don't know this ship a tenth as well I as we don't. do. I <laughs> don't. Okay, but I know somebody who does know Star Trek like the back of his hand. And I'm talking about not only the director, co-writer, and editor of Free Enterprise, the producer of The Hills Run Red, and the proprietor of the Burnett Network, it is... The legendary Robert Meyer Burnett. You know, I look behind Steve and all I see is the James Webb space laser. <laughs> <laughs> because, man, that was cool. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get into that. <clears throat> yeah, well, oh, yeah. We're, we're here to discuss uh, here on Deck 78. Uh, everybody got their aperitifs and kicking back, waiting for Guinan to show up. It could be a while. He's and, not showing uh, up in this one. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're going to be talking about Star Wars Andor, which just completed 12 episodes of its first season um, on Disney Plus. And uh, as a vote of confidence on the part of uh, 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 Disney, um, it's also dropped on first two episodes dropped on Hulu, on ABC, on Freeform, of all things. They're really <laughs> uh, leaving no uh, network un uh, untouched by uh by the Andor, so and uh, and as a as a, a, a vote of confidence for Andor, they fired Chapek this week. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> they By fired the, way, the rockets and they fired Chapek. Yes, I uh, I think that uh, this episode should be called "Ifs and or Butts." Nice or and yeah. or butts and or butts. <laughs> Maybe no ifs and or butts. Yeah, because you know that that, that that elevated the franchise in the same way that Andor did. Okay, so exactly. Well, I want to ask you before we we you know we look at this this first season. And of course, it's going to be you know it's funny. The other day, I was talking to uh, to my son. I was saying, I can't believe we got to wait two years for the next season. And he's like, You waited three years between movies. So what's <laughs> you the raised big deal? Him well. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I guess that's true. So two years is actually uh, a bargain, all things considered. And to be um, fair, it's almost like you got four movies with the first season of Andor. Yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's how I think of it. Yeah. Is it, 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 it? It's weird that they're showing the first two and not the first three. Maybe <laughs> their weird. idea is to use it as sort of a cliffhanger to get people to watch on Disney+. Plus. 
Yeah. It's... It, that feels like a tactical mistake to me. Because I, I think if you let people see the first three episodes in Toto, that uh, they would seek out the rest of it without question. Um, Show whereas... them the middle three episodes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my my neighbor in Totoro. Uh, <laughs> my neighbor in Totoro. You know what, in, though? I think, I think that whoever was making this decision either hadn't watched the show or... You know, as you well know, when these decisions are made, it's made based on a spreadsheet or information. It's not based on the reality of what it is that people are actually going to watch, yeah, and how they're how they're going to accept it. <clears throat> and you know, when they released Andor, I think they did release the first three episodes, yeah. And as, as people know, or if you've read any cursory interview with showrunner Tony Gilroy, he explains how the show was made in in three episodes blocks mm -hmm. each ep each three episodes told the story there was an interim episode and then the final then the climax and all you could have read any interview about the show and made a decision based on that yeah yeah now it's interesting because i do i want to talk about you know this show and if you've read the reviews or or, or you know watch the show for so many of these franchises whether it be star wars or you know and we'll touch on star trek as well because i think there is some lessons that are applicable here um but, you know, everybody wants to make, you know, the, the, we want to turn the franchise into Game of Thrones. You know, we and not, not that they, they what they what they mean by that is we want it to get respect. We want we want to get Emmys. We want the critics to love it, you know, and that just hasn't been the case um, with any of the, these franchises until now. Right. You know, suddenly yeah. this is a franchise that is is being embraced, getting great reviews. It's. um uh it, it, it's 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 beloved by uh, uh discerning people it's um a really really um it's really changed the course. it deals with um uh, the rise of fascism in a more sophisticated way than we've seen it before so what i'd love to do is sort of uh, go to each of you and see what you think of the show and, and kind <clears throat> of what you think its impact kind of going forward will be not only on the development of star wars properties but potentially you know the genre which has often been you know, regarded as kind of kids stuff. And this is not a show for kids. Um, Steve, Melshi, tell us, uh, <laughs> well, what are your things? You, 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 you've worked in the Star Wars universe and uh, very successfully with star shows like Rebels and the Clone Wars. So what, what, what is your impressions of uh, Andor? Well, I'll, I'll just lay my cards on the table right off the bat. I adored this show. Um, I was hooked from the first episode. Um, I've seen a lot of criticism uh, from people who find the show slow, or if they feel they could cut a third of it out, or that there were entire arcs that were maybe not necessary to the character development of Andor. And I, I don't understand that thinking. <clears throat> I, I found the episodes just riveting and endlessly fascinating and um, uh, they're so dense and layered that I'm really looking forward to going back. And now that all 12 episodes are available, you know, watching them, binging them all through, although well, I love two years. There's no yeah. <laughs> so I, I love being able to, uh, to savor them one, a, one a week. I love that release strategy after the initial drop. It really gives you time to, to think about what you saw and anticipate what's coming next. And I, I just, I just found it to be a tremendous show. Um, terrific characters, great character development, really sophisticated storytelling, very layered storytelling, wonderfully directed, great visuals. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I could go yeah. on. 
Ashley, I knew you'll have your chance, but Ashley, you worked on a bunch of sci-fi shows like Fringe and Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. So I'm sure you have a very kind of unique perspective on, um, you know, on what this show did right or did wrong. Um, Just so what is your, you know, takeaway from having watched the first 12 episodes? So I I think the number one most important smart thing they did was, I mean, clearly there was a, a plan for all 12 episodes. But they also had plans that worked for those those individual parts, those three episode blocks um, that we got one at a time, so that it felt like we were getting a, a satisfying resolution, um, just in in parts, in pieces. And you can compare and contrast that to you know, like even like the the Marvel shows that have worked, right? Like the ones on Netflix. You know, there were always a sort of a sag that happened in the middle. Um, and this show never sags. If anything, it 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 just becomes um sort of tighter and more compelling as it drives forward. And I think the reason for that, and it's you know, kind of to Steve's point, is that the great I think the great genius of this show is that it is it's not just telling the story of Cassian Andor. Cassian Andor is um he is a proxy for anybody who would join the rebellion who is is not by their nature inclined to join the rebellion and through these characters whether we're following you know uh Luthen um and or we're following Mon Mothma or we're following Vel and her gang or we're following the people on Ferrix what we're getting or even frankly like following the characters in the ISB what we're getting is a is a very 360 view <clears throat> of how the rebellion is formed on a very grounded human scale. Um, and I, I think that's really incredibly smart, but it always comes back to, you know, what is motivating these characters as people? Um, you know, the, the plot element of the rebellion and we've got to fight the empire and, you know, all the other stuff is, it is obviously present, but it is it is secondary to really just, you know, laying out why do these people make the decisions that they make and how do we wind up with the universe we wind up in, which frankly is, and it's great, obviously, in Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back and then a bunch of other movies that happen, uh, but it's it's asserted in Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. Like, why would anybody do it? Well, because it's bad. Okay, cool. Um, but let's see it because just because something is bad doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to do what we see them do. Uh, and I just think that in on that on that level, it's it's pretty brilliant storytelling. Okay, well, that, that's the perspective from two writers. I want to hear from Darren. I, I think that you know one of the the other stunning aspects of the show is Luke Hull's uh, incredible production design. Darren, your concept uh, designer, worked alongside production designer to work on visual effects. Tell us, you know, what, what were your what's your feelings about Andor? I certainly think that uh, technically it's uh, it's very good looking. Uh, it uh, it makes uh, extreme uh, good use of the uh, assets that it has. It uh, is very subtle in its uh, in its uh, expansion of the universe. It is uh, consistent in the uh, design of uh, uh, you know certainly the uh, the movies that we are we were first used to, um, and I, I think it's uh, it it is uh, it looks better than any of the previous uh, uh, shows that have been presented to us. Um, uh, it's uh, that said, I'm not very happy with the ships in it. I think the ships in it are sort of, eh, they're fine. Uh, 
because I, I like interesting ship shapes in my Star Wars. Uh, and I, I just didn't see that. I saw a lot of boxy things. So it's not ship shape for you. It's more galactic. <laughs> well, what sure, about sure. the, uh, the, the, the Con Colin Cantwell uh, Star Destroyer? That, was, that made my heart sing. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. And uh, and the fact that they, uh, you know, went back and uh, uh, actually called it the Cantwell class vessel was uh, was wonderful. And uh, that's something that has never happened before. Uh, and I think it's uh, it's great. And uh, of course, the uh, the truck that is backing up that always happens when we record these things <laughs> uh, it happens when I'm talking. So that's uh, that's how it goes. Let's just say that the uh, that the empire has found me, and uh, they're looking for me very closely. Um, the, All the way uh, as trash. The, <laughs> uh, the the show looks beautiful, but it shows ugliness very beautifully. Um, there's there's nothing there's nothing that makes me want to live in this in this world in this, and I think that's by design. Um, uh, and that's, I think that's one of the reasons why I don't go in a hundred percent like you guys do. Uh, cause, uh, my star Wars is something that I would like to visit someday. And this is not that, and that's fine. I I'm just, uh, I'm just going at it from slightly a different angle, uh, than you guys are. And we'll develop that as we talk later. Well, Rob, are you well, let me let me let me just jump in really quick to tie into something that Darren was saying about uh, the production designer Luke Hull. Um, it very uniquely was part of the writers' room uh, when the show was being conceived. Uh, uh, Gilroy brought him into the room with the other writers, so he was always there to talk that's, to them about smart. what they could accomplish yeah. and and how to best use manage their resources to to create the the biggest best looking show they could on their budget and schedule that's really smart because that kind of thing never happens especially on uh tv shows uh because the art department is always sort of surprised by things <laughs> that happen in episodes and well, it it makes things look uh look worse because they have to be rushed this is an excellent way of including all the creative forces in on uh from the ground floor well it was brilliant to build ferrix you know as a practical uh sat there's no it's not the they don't use the volume and but they, they keep finding ways to come back to it so they can amortize the cost of that set over the whole season and it's very organic you don't feel like you know they're just there because okay we have the set we need to be able to be on you know so when the the ultimate the finale comes and we're back there it feels very that, natural well that said i think that the ferrex set is very constrictive uh it seems like we're always in the same box uh, and that's what I felt watching that. Um, it, and that's the only sort of downside uh, for building it in reality is because you're kind of stuck into it. You can extend the streets a little bit, but it always felt very constricting. And maybe that helps with the storytelling uh, in, in that uh, their environment is uh, oppressive too. So okay. so Rob, what, what, about, what about you? Um, I, I think you have, uh, you have two people who love it. Darren is with mixed minds about it. Um, where, where do you sit on the Andor scale? Oh, I, I was knocked out by it. I would dare say it's one of the finest science fiction shows ever made. Uh, I have to disagree with, with Darren in, uh, on two respects. One, I loved Luthen Rail's uh, spaceship. I think it harked back to being, it had a Carillion cockpit. It had lightsaber weapons we'd never seen before mounted on a ship, which make total sense when you see them 
in action, wondering, hmm, where did he get that? Um, and I thought that the Ferrex set, I looked at it as a a a steel town set in Pennsylvania. You know, a blue collar workaday place. And I think that the genius of this show is unlike anything previously that we had seen in Star Wars, you wondered well, what did the Empire do that was so bad, other than being jackbooted Nazi thugs from the get-go? We never understood what did it mean to the every person? What did it mean to the workaday folks in, say, a, a Pennsylvania steel town? How did rebellion stem from that? And, you know, when I was watching the set today, the, the final episode today, I was thinking, I was waking, waiting for them to break into a song from Les Mis, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I thought that the way the, 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 it, like Mark, I, I spoke about this earlier today, the fact that they went five episodes in the Ferrex set, they clearly were able to pick their angles, the direction on multi-levels, you know, they were up, up high on those sets so they could shoot down. They were able to create incredible production value. And the fact that they knew they were going to go there for five of those episodes allowed them to spend an incredible amount of money on those sets and they could build interiors and exteriors probably practically. So they didn't have to go on to a stage. They could probably shoot a lot of it, you know, in and out of those buildings. Cause you saw a lot of activity on the streets that were shot from inside the buildings outward. And I, I thought it was amazing. And, you know, Tony Gilroy, a lot of people have, have criticized me. They're like, well, Rob, you know, why this show is so slow and it's so boring. And I said, you know, this show is harking back to a lot of real history of, of the last, you know, decades or whatever. And the more you know about everything from Le Mis or about modern well, world history, the better this show becomes. And um, there's a really interesting interview with Tony Gilroy that was on Deadline today. And I'd love to mm -hmm. read what what he said. One of the questions was, this interviewer was kind of an idiot. Was there something in history that se the season one finale was inspired by? And Tony like Gilroy- everything in history. Well, Tony Gilroy says, uh, well, there are things all the way through the show, and I don't want to go through and quote chapter and verse, but this is the Russian Revolution. This is Montegard. This is something interesting that happened in the Haitian Revolution. This is the ANC. Oh, this is the Earth Gun Building. This is Palestine. This is the Continental Congress. This goes all the way. I mean, you could drop a needle in the last, oh, I don't know what is recorded history, 3,000 years legitimate recorded i mean slavery oppression colonialism bad behavior betrayal hero heroism i mean it's all a continuum and i think that what's really interesting to me is we've never seen the workaday empire and the workaday people that later founded the rebellion in in any way shape or form anywhere in the star wars film universe not in clone wars not in rebels not in any of the movies that we've seen. We've always been dealing with the higher ups or the the generals and the the Jedi and the Jedi Council. This is the the polar opposite of that. And I thought it was absolutely fascinating. And when it comes also to production design, they they'll they'll go find a dam and in the foreground they can put a turbo laser that we've seen on the on the Death Star surface making sure that even though they're at a practical location, it's like, oh, this is Star Wars, and it's immediately Star Wars. And I think that of all the design work that has been done on anything Star Wars, when you go to the Imperial bases, when you go to these places, it is un it is unmistakably Star Wars in origin, everything about it. And the fact that they leaned into the the white uniforms with the, came which came out of Thrawn and came out of Krennic from 
Rogue One and all that. I, I was just, I was. And those guys talking. walking down the hall in uh, episode four. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, look, I, I mean, well, let me, I, I just would argue that uh, I would, I would say that we did touch on some of those themes in Star Wars Rebels, which uh, took place on the, you know, the Outer Rim planet of Lothal. And, and we did deal with local people with the the Empire having come to this planet and set up a huge factory and started strip mining. Animation isn't real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I, 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 I look. Anybody who hasn't seen Star Wars Rebels and the Clone Wars, you should seek it out because they're 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 great shows. They are great uh, shows. They are great shows, and and you're absolutely right that they touched on themes, you know, as, as much as you but possibly not, yeah, could. not in not nearly in the depth and complexity that they are able to do in this show, which is but wonderful. I have to say that you know after the soul crushing um, Obi Wan miniseries, oh, where my Obi-Wan. interest in Star Wars had waned to virtual non-existence and i would be happy to never see another space wizard again um this was remarkable i mean i i, I agree you know rob you said it's like one of the great sci-fi series of all time i mean it is and i love the original battlestar galactica but it is to you know star wars what the battle ron moore's battlestar galactica was to you know battlestar galactica i mean it just takes it seriously and it it looks at the rise of fascism and how the apathy of a people, um, you know, can ignore the signs because it's easier, but then ultimately they'll come to regret it. I mean, it's it's like that line in the prequels. This is how democracy dies. You know, I mean, George Lucas talks about how Star Wars was incredibly political and he wrote yeah. it in the wake of the Vietnam, the right of in the wake of you know developing apocalypse now. Like this is finally the dividends of all that being you know paid off. I mean, I remember Steve and I were in Telluride listening to Lucas talk about how um the you know invasion of Iraq um and and Bush had influenced the prequels and all this stuff. And I didn't see that in the prequels. But in Andor, I feel like everything that Lucas was talking about and the the, the wonderful homage to THX one one three eight. Oh yeah. Um multiple is, is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean it's phenomenal. And then to see people like um uh the, the wonderful um Oh my God, uh, Kino, uh, Kino, um, uh, what's Andy Circus? Andy yeah, Circus, yes, who just hits it out of the park. It's phenomenal, and and what Luke Hall has done for Star Wars in terms of creating a real uh, lived-in world, um, it's the greatest thing I've seen since John Barry and Norman Reynolds on Star Wars and Empire. So I mean, it's really phenomenal. And where I would differ with my colleague Darren is. You know, I think Star Trek is the world I want to live in. I never wanted to live in Star Wars. I wanted to play Star Wars, but I never wanted to live it. So- <laughs> to, there's one one thing I just want to point out quickly. One of the things that I felt unexpected happened in the finale is the scene when Daedra, our Ilsa She-Wolf of the IS, uh, ISB, <laughs> when, when she was about to get trampled and she was yeah. rescued by Cyril, uh, all jokes aside about shipping them and all that, the terror on her face, the fear that she portrayed, even though she was an Imperial officer and we were made to really despise her throughout the show, she too showed that human quality. She was a terrified woman that was no longer part of a, a, an empire. She was just a human being trying to escape from getting killed. Well, and so yet like, I still want her action figure. But, oh, I um, do too. Yeah, but to, to split the difference a little bit between... Uh, Rob and Steve, and 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 perhaps you know find a sort of a common way of expressing this is yes. By the way, Rebels is 
awesome. It's, it is awesome. I didn't mean to suggest awesome it was. No, no, no. Uh, but, I, I, no, 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 no. I know that. But like, but my my point is that um, I think Steve, what 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 resonated with me about what Rob was saying is that in this show, there are no Jedi. Right. You know, there there is like nobody sort of sitting above it. There are no commanders who are sitting above it. You don't have, you know, Captain Hera. You know, you don't have the ghost. You don't have like Phoenix Squadron. You don't have any of those things. You just those, have those people. classic hero hero right. type. They're just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Right. Like the uh, they're just trying to like decide like how they exist inside of this universe. And I think it's expressed incredibly well in uh, Nemec's manifesto, which I was I was honestly like, I I knew that it was coming. I, I knew that we were going to hear something from it. There was a part of me that gave it a 50% chance of sucking, but it was actually great because it, it wasn't really a manifesto. It was actually a, a fairly erudite um, look at history and the way that people behave in history, that it's not about, um, you know, one gigantic event. And it's not about a, a people just deciding on mass. Well, this is bad, and now we're the rebellion. It is about just an accumulation of things until suddenly there's critical mass, and then there's yeah. a moment, right? And to to Gilroy's point, like it could be the Boston Tea Party, you yeah. know, uh, or it could be what happens on Ferrix. Uh, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Well, that that Ferrix uh, uh, confrontation at the end reminded me of all the uh, early 20th century strike breakers, you know, where you have the the laborers rising up and the cops, you know, the police or come in and, and crack skulls. <laughs> very much reminded me of that. And you have a villain that's scarier than Darth Vader, which is uh, Kirill's mother. Ah! Oh, my God. I mean, oh my who God. is Uncle Harlow? I, I, I was disappointed we didn't get to find out who Uncle, uh, who, who are, the Uncle, uncle Harlow. You know, a lot of people thought that, you know, it would be some kind of uh, Easter egg. I, I didn't need an Easter egg, but I would have liked to have met Uncle Harlow. We got to meet him at some point. Luthen. No, I don't think so. What terrifies me, you know, you talk about, you know, there are no Jedi in the show and like, there might be. I am hoping, <laughs> I'm really hoping that Luthen isn't a Jedi at this point. I feel like, I don't I, think that's a bunch of fanboy nonsense. That's what I hope. Because I, I, I like it being Tony about Gilroy. real. Yeah, I like it being about real people. This particular show, yeah, being yeah. about real. Well, people. Have you heard? Well, that's what I think you, is really have you heard interviews with Tony Gilroy? Have you heard him? Yeah, he's like a you know he's a no bullshit sixty yeah. year old guy who's like yeah you know I didn't I, I didn't know much about Star Wars I didn't care fucking about it I mean he's like they brought me in they need to save the picture with Rogue One and. You know, I, I took it seriously. I did the best I could, like anything else, like with Michael Clayton. He's not interested in that nonsense. And you see, I mean, what's the only real fan service they delivered? The 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 the, the, um, the last shot of the, the last series. shot, last exactly, shot. exactly. But but that was a pay, that but that was a payoff. payoff. That, that oh, paid off, like, yeah, yeah, thematically with you know with Cassian's character, it was friggin' brilliant. I and linked it. it to 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 Rogue One. I mean, yes. to the to the Luthen point. You know, and I'm the, in the, the camp JW of, Webb telescope. I, yeah, <laughs> I'm in the camp of believing that Luthen may, in fact, uh, be a Jedi. But what I think is brilliant about how Luthen is handled in this show is that it is all in the suggestion. It's all in the subtext. You know, I, I think that we will continue to get little suggestions um, that uh, of of his history and who he is. I I hope we actually never really get an answer but I, I think that the idea that like perhaps you know lurking like 
you know, inside of Luthen is a, you know, is a, a fallen Jedi or a dark Jedi, you know, or whoever the hell it is. Oh, I that's, a, that's an interesting question. It's not an interesting answer. That's the difference, right? It's like, as an answer, boring. As a question, it's fascinating because, because anything that like adds layers to him and like and suggests the larger universe, I think is I think is fascinating. His his last speech, you know, his uh, his sacrifice oh. speech. Holy oh. shit! It's like he and Patty Considine. I swear to God, the two of them are just going to have to get into like a fucking cage and knife it out for the end. Yeah, but episode. Patty Constantine may not be best supporting. He may be lead, lead. and and Stone Skarsgård. They get nominated That's, for supporting. You know supporting. what? Let's live in that world where they they both walk home with See, the because to me, he's Moses. He he he's going to lead them through the the Red Sea, but he's never going to be able to live in the Promised Land. You right. know, he's never going to yeah. be able to cross the you know well, into the which is that speech is amazing. I mean, look for for again for writers. I mean, the monologuing on the show is incredible. Not only was Luthen's speech phenomenal, but then on the finale, you had that great speech. That the mom that Fiona Shaw gives. Yep. Yeah. Well, also another thing I really loved about Luthen's character is when we saw it in last week's episode with the Cantwell, he was there was no if you listen to that, they use percussion as the music. It's almost barely perceptible. It's an underscore. There isn't John Williams music to tell you how to feel. You're watching somebody who really knows their job, who understands Imperial protocol. He doesn't break a sweat. He knows exactly what he's doing. And if anything, he's, to me, he, he's the ultimate example of what an actual Jedi would possibly be in that. Correct. Cool, cool as a cucumber. He, you know, he doesn't have, there is no swashbuckling sci-fi I fantasy believe, there. I believe yes. the word you're searching for is competent. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but his competency, his competency is is overall. I mean, in a way, you know, he's he's very much a Vulcan, but he is governed by his emotions as well. And I loved seeing that kind of competency. And I didn't realize, you know, in Star Wars, everybody was very good at their jobs. In the original, uh, the first, the, the original Star Wars film, I refuse to call it the a new first two and a half. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, the original Star Wars that changed my life. If this had come out after Star Wars, I I would have I would have loved it. People like if I was twelve years old and I saw the show, I still would have loved it because this, in my mind, in my imagination, Star Wars was always like this because you saw Star yeah. Wars and Empire, and so from nineteen seventy seven all the way up to just before the release of Return of the Jedi. This is all what Andor gave me was how Star Wars lived in my mind. Mm -hmm. Very serious. The Empire was scary and dangerous. They were competent. They would find you. Even the, the rebels barely had their base set up on Hoth before the Empire found them. It's a good bet the Empire knows we're here. And it was terrifying, and it was adult. It was only after the release of Return of the Jedi that things really began to change. Let me, let me give this a counterpoint, because I think that, the for me, the Empire isn't as as deadly as I would like it because we're seeing them in fucking conference meetings. Um, and that sort of takes out, it, it adds that layer of, uh, of bureaucracy that I think fascinated George Lucas for the prequels, but it doesn't interest me one iota. Well, wait a and minute. maybe that's my yeah. fault. Wait <laughs> maybe a that's minute. my fault. 
the best Star Wars conference meeting was in Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's oh, correct. Is, when is Grandma Tarkin was the badass in charge. And he knew what he was doing. Everyone else didn't. But see, there's no one who knows what they're doing in this but on see, the Empire I, side. I, no, that's I, something that I completely disagree yeah, with. Yeah, come okay. on, dude. I, Everybody I, was good at their jobs. Yeah, I love the ISB. I would watch the ISB show every yep. week. I would for watch five it years. every day. Yes, exactly. For five <laughs> years, I would watch that show because they were competent. It was like watching Tinker Taylor's Soldier Spy. Um, or, you know, a more recent example, Slow Horses, except it's science fiction, and they're doing their job. Um, you know, they are behaving like a real agency. There are people who are smart. There are people who have their own agendas that work against the the larger agenda. Dedra Miro is just a badass in that environment. She and she's really good at her job. Jedi. She's great at and her so job. And so is the, the, the black dude that she's in competition with. He's yeah. really good at his job, yeah. too. I and love also, those scenes. Major yeah. part of gas, you know, Anton Lesser from Game of Thrones. He's the so Grand brilliant. Master. Because he plays yeah. everyone against each other to get the best out of them. He is it's a master tactician. And, but it, but I mean, it, it's so great watching it's just they don't scenes. quite understand the threat yet. Yeah, I was going to say, as competent as they are, yeah. Yeah. They have assumed their own inevitability. Well, and as competent as they their... are, they couldn't find Andor through the whole freaking uh, season. And they had him. That's yeah. not competent. Well, that's, that's the just FBI. Democracy. That's the CIA. You know, I mean, it's the same thing with the, the, the they should have had the terrorists on 9-11 who were off in flight school, you know, training to fly planes. And yeah, they but they did have it. them. It was just an inside job. But but here's the thing. I mean, Andor also, here's the thing. The Empire is not looking. Andor was a, a lower level person than they'd ever thought could be. They thought of Andor as somebody who was a much greater threat than he actually was. You know, he was just a schleprock on this, you know, barely one step away, running away from his creditors, running away from. So they 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 weren't even they weren't even aware that Cassie and Andor was as big of a threat as he was until as it, the show went along. And then when he escaped and changed his identity and was thrown in to the prison, that was the funny, ironic thing is they didn't even know he was already in in custody because they weren't looking for someone like him. It's such a realistic depiction of, of bureaucracy. And, and, you know, the failure of people to clock what seems obvious that's not. And again, I mean, it's like whether it's the FBI or the CIA or, or, or Interpol or, you know, I, I mean, it's it's so great. And all these competing, these competing fiefdoms and how politicized it is, because ultimately everybody wants to be in the favor of those in charge. And then there are a couple of true believers like Cyril and 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 they're the most dangerous and 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 Deidre, you know, who are the most dangerous because they're true believers in the cause. The rest of well, them are just like looking to make some money and 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 have a job and not be at the bottom of the pecking order. The the sick genius of the the writing in this show is that by by putting us into the point of view of the ISB, they turned the Andor problem, finding Andor, into like these moments where we're watching them, and there's like a part of our heads that's going, I hope they find that guy. You know what I mean? Like he becomes like their problem that we're watching them solve, and like there's a strange frustration like with the fact that okay, over on this like this little sex planet, like you know they have taken a completely different dude and tossed him into the into the prison. But by the same base Tel Aviv, yeah, yeah. By, the, <laughs> by, the, by the same token, you know from Andor's point of view, he didn't get one over on them. <laughs> He ended up in the 
worst place (laughs) imaginable. (laughs) Um, So you kind of wind up with like this, this very interesting, I think um, very, very heady situation um, where, you know, nobody is, nobody's in a good place. Um, And, you know, there's no clear, uh, okay, well, I'm obviously like right now I'm an Andor story. And if it was just Andor's story and the Empire simply weren't finding him because of, you know, how the Empire works, uh, it would be like, well, okay, well, I guess he got one over on them. But because the stakes get get moved around from story to story, like it becomes incredibly interesting, especially when it then turns around and it impacts people like Bix, right? Um, and it finds its way home to Ferex. And, you know, we're watching the impact of all this stuff with Mon Mothma. So the, the stakes become global. And it's just, it, there's nothing Intergalactic. like yeah, it's oh, no. like there's. I've never seen anything like that on a on a genre show before. At least a lot of like in a science fiction. You show. just like brought Battlestar didn't get there. You just brought up mm-hmm. something that that you know people talk about. Tony Gilroy said, "Ah, there's not going to be any fan service in this show." The portrayal of Mon Mothma. No, I was just going to bring so that up. Okay. Oh my God! Uh, first of all, uh, the 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 costume designer, everything oh, she wore, genius. including everything about her, I, I never thought. You know, I never, no offense, I never liked the performance of Mon Mothma and Jedi. It seemed like she was in a different movie. Like, I yeah. didn't, this Mon Mothma, and I know we've seen her before, what, her name's, uh, is it Gwendolyn? Genevieve O'Reilly. Genevieve, Genevieve O'Reilly, Gen- O'Reilly, O'Reilly, yeah. Yeah, Genevieve O'Reilly. She, I mean, another uh, uh, Emmy, enemy, uh, enemy, Emmy caliber performance. <laughs> uh, she is so incredible in this role. Talk about being between a rock and a hard place to the point where she's as committed as Luthen, where, you know, the fact that they created things like, well, I was in a arranged marriage. I was married to my husband when I was 14. Well, she's this, more committed because she has more to lose. Yes. And, and she but I mean, she literally gave up her daughter. Yeah. And but what I, I love about can I just I just want to ahead, what I love about this Genevieve O'Reilly, the whole story, the whole this beyond what we see on screen. She gets cast in the prequels because she looks like the actress from Jedi, right? Right. It's not, I'm sure it was this brilliant audition or anything. She looked like the actress, you know? And then she comes back for Rogue One. You well, know, she, she she had her, her big scene in uh, the prequels was cut. Right? Yeah, yeah. She had so a great 25 scene years cut. later, she comes back and gets a few lines and she's quite good in Rogue One. Great. And then now, and then there's, they, they have this actress who looks like hers and then they put her in Andor and like, who knew? We, we put her amazing. in. We put her in Rebels too. She did a couple episodes of Rebels for us, and she's great. And yeah, oh, she's so uh, good. I, just, I just, I just need her to meet Manny Boffins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So do I. No, no, dude. Manny so Boffins died, and you better respect that. Yeah, not yet. He didn't. <laughs> her, her. Yeah, I'm right here. <laughs> I, I never, I never thought I'd be watching a Star Wars show where I was so invested in Mon Mothma's marriage. Yeah, no kidding. The, and, the scene and in the Senate, car about Senate. the gambling is brilliant. Oh my god, that was so she great! Solves her own problem, <laughs> and it's just in such an—it's uh, not an obvious way. It's something. It's what makes it genius is, I mean, I think you know, a definition of genius is somebody who discovers the thing that seems obvious in retrospect. Like that solution is obvious in retrospect, and it is brilliant. And it's a great scene. It's so well acted between the two of them. Oh. I believed their marriage. Right, the way that parent is begging her, well, tell me, tell me who it was, and I'll tell you why they said it. It's like, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, okay, 
I get well, it. It's great because they set that up in the first episode. They're listening to me. I have a new driver. They listen to everything. Yeah. They're following. They know everything. And then, you know, it's kind of like, okay, we forget about that. And at the end of the season, we totally bookend it bookend against them. She knows they're listening. Yeah. There's this whole thing to get off the hook on, on, on the money. And it's brilliant. And then they, they show you immediately. I think uh, I yeah. will say this though. There's there is one drawback that I I did miss in this final episode. That my only criticism of the final episode is the situation that saw Guerrera, who I call it war, mm -hmm. uh, that saw Guerrera and <laughs> the rebellion. They <laughs> set where they're 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 sacrificing one of their own. Yeah, right. We just hear it basically mentioned. And we don't see it, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and and I understand that, because what are they going to do, show us a space battle? Which yeah. goes nowhere anyway. I don't know how so you get yeah. inside that point of view. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, you don't know that person, so I understand they had to deal with it, and, and it's the same thing, to be fair, it's a repeat from when they they set up this the uh, Daedra's idea of setting up this ship. We'll do we'll kill the guy and set his ship adrift, you know, so they can find him later. And they do that too, and it's off screen, so it didn't really bother me. But they did spend a big a big point in the movie with Saw but and Luthen you know why that's important because it shows that Luthen is willing to sacrifice anybody. Yeah, anybody. And it's only after he sits there and hears the speech and sees what happens on Ferrix that he doesn't shoot him at the end. Yep. It's mm -hmm. like, you have to see, I think the turn in the character, you know, that he's changed from the guy who was willing to sacrifice all these people, you know, only a few days earlier to the point where he won't kill Andor. Well, who was actively think... out to kill him, you know, just but, moments yeah, earlier. Yeah. 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 But I also think that Luthen, that it was Andor, Andor knowing that Luthen was going to kill him yeah. and Andor said, do it. I'm right here. Yeah, yeah, but I'm making and, a choice. I, and I the... had to show you, and he, Luth, I mean, Andor is ready to die. Yeah, you know, and if if Luthen's he's gonna lost kill everything, him, he's lost everything, and 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 uh, Luthen knew it, and because Luthen, if if there's one thing he can do, is he can spot true believers, right? Which is like the that was perfectly platformed. You know, there was the the whole ex line about Andor and about how you know, look, when your when your head is in the same place as what you feel. Like there is, there's, there's nothing that you can't do. And when he goes to Luthen and he says, you can kill me or take me in. Mm -hmm. That is a perfect expression of his head and his gut are in the same place. Mm -hmm. And when Luthen looks at that, that's what he sees. Yeah. He sees a man who has come to his door to be the thing that he offered him in the first place. Yeah. And for the, <laughs> the entire show, we thought, oh, okay, Andor is just a mercenary, right? That was like what he, I mean, look, it's like Rick Blaine. It's like, don't stick my neck out for nobody. Right well, for the that was that was Luthen's perspective on him, and then he Luthen showed doesn't even know he was in prison. Yeah, and well, and that's why we needed all those arcs to show uh, Andor getting to that point because before that he was just kind of a he's kind of a fuck up, you know. He didn't have any nobody liked him really. Yeah, he was kind of a mercenary. Yeah, you know? his he, robot, his robot liked him. B yeah, liked him. His mom. Liked let, him. Let, let's talk about the arcs because. This is interesting because Enterprise did something similar where they did these three episode arcs. But the reason that Manny Cotto did that in the fourth season was money. They could do bigger stories by having uh, these three episode arcs, so they could build Vulcan or they could do these things. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But it was it was it was clever. This wasn't done so much about the money as each story, each was its own sort of story that then got put into the larger whole. But so you have the Dirty Dozen, which sort of kicks things off which is the whole Aldini raid, which which is 
so much fun leading up culminating well, that would be the, the second eye. arc that's the that, would, second that arc. would be the second arc that's true so the first arc is uh you it's know which, it's, it's ferrix which again you know there's you know in some quarters this whole idea that it's slow and i i guess that's a product of um people now have no attention span I mean, could you imagine watching let's, this in the 70s and feeling let's it was not, slow? Let's not go down that road. Let's not actually gatekeep for people who don't necessarily like the show as much. But as it's, it's not slow. Yeah. It's, not, it's but, not gatekeep. Mark, it's just not slow. I would say you're, you are touching on something. that The Ferrex arc is Act 1. Yeah. 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 And you've got you've got act, the, the three-episode arcs are Acts 1, 2, and 3. And then each three-episode arc served as Acts one and two and three of the larger whole you had episode seven that was that interim or the episodes yeah episode seven that wasn't part of an arc and then the climax was episodes 11 and 12. yep so it's interesting to break that down was there one that you thought really stood out or did did it feel just very organic and part of a whole to you i i think i have to say the middle arc when they went to aldani Mm -hmm. because what I really loved about that episode is there were things like they touched on the displacement of indigenous people. You know, they, they, the, the fact that you learned that the empire had a payroll, you know, that they had to, there's so many things about it that I, that I really enjoyed. And there you have the dirty dozen, the characters all coming together and who do you trust and what are the relationships? Then you had the guns of Navron or even star Wars. You had a base you had to attack a, a. It was where eagles dare. You know, it was all the gun on ice planet zero. <laughs> it was all. Of those, it was all of those things, and I would say of all the arcs, that arc had the most satisfying conclusion. And that one also had that great. It was just a little thing of the that humanizing character development of that base commander and his wife and his son that he was like disappointed in, and he couldn't awesome. fit into his dress uniform. It was so great. It was awesome. But the payoff is the best. After they successfully um, get through the eye, which is a gorgeous virtuoso sequence, um, he's betrayed, you know, or he, and 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 he ends up killing killing you know part of the team because he uh, he wants to walk off with the money, which comes as a complete surprise, and it it just reinforces like the the ethical character of Andor, even while he's a mercenary, you know, you, it's part of building the rebel that he becomes. Yep. Yeah. It's so, just, it's so interesting. I just appreciated that, that all of the arcs were different. Um, yep. That it wasn't okay. In every three episodes, we're going to do something like the Eldani raid and we're going to have, have a, a big, you know, fly away escape with TIE fighters. You know, it was, just, everything was, was different. Um, and everything had a, had a different, different point and you know it was obviously there was a very consistent tone um but they had different goals it was like there was there was it felt like there was constant progress from arc to arc and yet each one to me felt like a little movie not even a little movie frankly if you kind of take the timing on those things out it's like you know yeah, i mean movie, those are those are movie movies you know we basically got another star wars trilogy which is pretty crazy that's really funny when you think about it if you take all the arcs and you combine them, that it actually is a trilogy. You know, it's more than a trilogy, but it basically is another Star Wars trilogy. That's a really interesting, interesting point. Of course, you got the THX, the Prison Break. Darren, was there one that really stood out for you? One of the arcs that really spoke to you? I love, I love the whole prison arc. Absolutely, um, it's the. I think it's for me, it's the most successful telling 
of uh, an arc. Um, and because it it quickly sort of established who the players in it were, and uh, everyone was well delineated. It, there wasn't a question of, oh, well, this, uh, this uh, bit player kind of looks exactly like this other bit player. Um, that sometimes happens in the rest of the show, to be honest. Uh, it, 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 was, uh, it was the most cohesive. It had you know, the most uh, sort of direct uh, good versus bad, which I enjoy in my Star Wars. Um, and it was clever. It was very clever as to how they got how they set up the barriers to these poor guys, and then were able to develop ways for them to defeat them. Mm. And what did you think of the set? Beautiful. It's beautiful, uh, especially what the a, main the main corridor with the uh, housing uh, areas. Uh, what, a, what a terrifying juxtaposition of what we normally see as a prison. No bars on the on the cells. <laughs> no mean, electronic well, frontier. In space, <laughs> in, in space, you don't need bars because yeah, uh, you, you know, always they're, they're sort of oh, you're sort of stuck. But um, you're right. I mean, the THX. You guys talked about the THX I, homage. Look, I, I, I don't. I'm not exactly sure that it's an homage to THX. I think it's an homage to Metropolis, where THX was making the homage. Mm -hmm. um, well. I think that I think that these references go back further, and that's how they should be. That. They are going to the sources for the references in Star Wars, rather than just uh, feeding on the Star Wars uh, movies themselves. Have you guys seen the pictures of uh, that somebody like basically it was a compare and contrast pictures inside of the Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel in Disney World? Oh my God! And the prison. <laughs> oh my God! And it's like <laughs> they look shockingly similar. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think I think the prison was run better than the Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel. Probably so. And speaking as a parent, I would not mind a floor that you could just you know, electrify <laughs> if you have to. Uh, 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 uh. So where do you guys think the show goes next season? In its final season, second yeah, and final man. season. I think but I where's Dantooine? I think they're gonna they're gonna integrate the uh Saw Guerrera group more, certainly. Mm -hmm. Uh, and maybe maybe make them the the antagonists uh, based on the the factions developing in the rebellion, uh, much like they they hinted at in uh, Rogue One. Um, I think that there might be some uh, actual active uh, combatants uh, pushing against each other. At least I hope so, because I think that's fascinating. Uh, hopefully, he'll get his. Uh, his uh, Borgalit uh, uh, octopus uh, truth set. Borgalit. But I want to see more integration with Mon Mothma. I want to see her take a, a, an active lead in it and see how she is able to sort of pivot and, uh, and uh, be a, the leader that uh, people follow. Because right now she's just working behind the scenes and that's fine. Uh, but I, I think that there might be a, a conflict between uh, between her and uh, and uh, several of the characters to try well, and I, I and, don't and take oh, sorry. To, to try and take dominance. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think we can. Re you can't really cross Andor uh, with uh, Saw Gerrera because I I don't think they they didn't know each other. <laughs> I I don't think. Well, uh, I mean, Rogue but, One. but there are, but you know, obviously, if you bring him in the first season, you got to have something happening. 
Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. In a second. Yeah. I just think there are some characters that uh, you, we can't cross. But yeah. Look, it, it, I, I don't mind if Andor isn't in the second season. Because <laughs> honestly, he doesn't have much to do with the show. And I like that. Uh, he's he's sort of a he's sort of a uh, a pivot point of someone who doesn't know what's going on. Rob, well, I was going to say he's not the only Andor on the show either, and yeah, we saw true. we saw what happened in 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 this episode. I mean, the name Andor is is a a, a match, you know, that lit lit a fuse that right there on Ferrix, and it wasn't Cassian. Yeah. Well, and he remember he's still looking for his sister at the yeah. top of the show, and they, there hasn't been a lot about that. So the sister got to oh, play sister. in somehow, you know, which is interesting because we know that the Star Wars franchise has dealt with brothers and sisters in the past, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, is is the sister still alive? Is, is she, you know, uh, with the rebels or and is, is she it part Diego of the Luna in a wig? And has he kissed his sister? <laughs> right, because that's a Star Wars thing. Um, I, I am quite fearful uh for mod mothma and i'll tell you why because you know we're essentially with her story watching somebody who becomes you know one of the leaders of the rebellion and to become that leader of the rebellion she's got to lose everything she has to lose everything yeah and i just it, i i am so invested in her and even though her relationship with her husband, who is a douche, and her daughter is difficult, they're still important to her. Um, and I, I just I I worry for her. But um, but I think that that's interesting. I think that's a good worry, dramatically speaking. Um, but I agree with I agree with Darren's analysis completely. I, I think um, that uh, I think that the, the Sagar era connection is going to turn out to be you know I, I, I think that there is potentially an interesting battle for the soul of this nascent rebellion exactly. um, that is in the offing. And I think that, you know, the choice is essentially, do you want the Mon Mothma version or do you want the Saw Gerrera version? So Rob, what's the... Well, yeah, but Saw, Saw Gerrera is, you know, has been uh, talked about as being an extremist who's someone who's willing to commit what we would call war crimes in the, you know, in the service of fighting the empire. He's and... actually a terrorist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Rob, what's the future of Deidre and Cyril? <laughs> well, look, I, I am not one of these people. I, I don't think Deidre has any emotional interest in Cyril. But, you know, when someone saves your life, uh, I mean, I think she recognized from moment one he's a creepy douche. But he did save her life, and clearly he knows some things. So maybe she'll be keep him. He'll be a useful idiot. Because, yeah. I mean, I, I you know, it's sort of – I'm like, I understand there's an element of fandom that loves to ship people. And I get that. I mean, I think back to Fox Mulder and Dana <laughs> Scully and everybody wants to get people together. I don't think that that Tony Gilroy is going to turn this into some romantic relationship unless it turned to some weird Dom. And stuff. Bo Williman and Dan Gilroy. Yeah. And, and John, boy, what and John Gilroy, the editor. It's the, I mean, one of the things about the show that I find really interesting is you've got Dan, you've got Tony, and you have John, their brother who's editing the show as well. Mm -hmm. So this really interesting sibling creation that they've done um, is, is amazing. But yeah, I just don't think that, I think that what's going to happen is that what we've seen is, is Cyril is going to, he's becoming radicalized 
And we're, we're, you know what I think this show is? This show is basically showing us America. Is is I, I really think that as a sci-fi allegory, they're they're not going to ever say it, but they're showing us our country through the the prism. And maybe Star Wars has always done that, but I do think that there's an element of that in Andor, and I see many different elements of these characters all over the place, which is what I think they're going for. And maybe not just America, but every the history of every country, whether it's William Wallace in Scotland. You know, or or you know, or a uh, uh, Ben Garion, you know, in Israel. I mean, there's so many different. Uh, so I I just don't think they're going to go into some kind of romantic thing. No, absolutely. I, I unless it's like misery. That's right. <laughs> Darren, what do you think? Are we going to see a Bix and B two again? I, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't. You really, don't care. I don't. I don't care. I hope she runs in cargo pants when we do. Just um, saying. But the the thing is, I think that. What I want to see is I want to see the uh, uh, the granularity of uh, of activity that we've seen in the Empire. Uh, I want to see that in the rebellion. I want to see the uh, I want to see the politics within the rebellion explored uh, in the same totally manner agree. that we have in in the Empire, uh, and see that it, they are actually the same thing. Their their methods are just different. I don't approve of your methods. Yeah, you know, you know you one know, of the things we didn't talk about yet is the manifesto from the I, yeah. the I, um, no, no, the the I trilogy. When our character who passed away, who was the visionary, and mm. we saw Cassian listen to part of his manifesto in this final episode, right? When he's, which I thought again, a beautifully written passage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it another monologue, even though it was from a dead guy in terms of of how uh, recognizing the fact that a, a fascist re regime is always fearful because they always know that they have their 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 boots on the necks of people that are going to rise up they're never going to be com they're never going to be secure yeah. and that's what when power when whoever's in power is always fearful of the people that they're trying it's, to be powerful over will always rebel it's the logic of waste it's the mirror empire Yes. Yeah, it is. It's like he needs okay. Spock to be given that speech. Well, that's and a great transition. So I got <laughs> a question Star for Trek. you guys. Yeah. What is the lesson that Star Trek can learn from Andor? Mm -hmm. um, well, that depends. So, you know, something that, that jumped out at me very strongly uh, in, the, in the finale, uh, particularly, you know, watching his mother's you know speech her 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 death speech was i thought about you know that last seven episodes of uh of deep space nine uh you know the moment when damar gets on you know comms with everybody you know and he says resist resist today resist tomorrow resist until the last dominion soldier is driven from our streets um you know there was once upon a time i think when star trek understood how to tell stories like this but i think that you know for for start for star trek moving forward the the big lesson that andor has to teach us is it's characters first um you know big fun operatic bullcrap second or third or fourth or or fifth just doing things because well that seems cool is not a great idea 
um, that it is okay to have characters who are conflicted. And oh, by the way, so here's another way of looking at this, right? So let's talk about Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. So all of the usual crap that we don't even, we can shorthand this part of the conversation, right? It's like, oh, they're all sort of three sides of one thing. Okay, awesome. So let's look at the rebellion from that point of view. Mm-hmm. In Mon Mothma, you have the idealism of the rebellion. Right. In Saw Gerrera, you have the zealotry of the rebellion. Right. And in Lucy you have practicality, right? And, you know, that, like, creating, like, that that triangle makes it so interesting because there are truly points of view that are in conflict, even if the goal that they share is exactly the same. And watching that, by the way, watching that play out on Andor the next season, I think will be terrific. And it's one of the reasons I agree with Darren about kind of where all that is is going. And and uh, and in some ways, I think that um, that Nemec's manifesto is a warning to the rebellion mm-hmm. that you too can become this. Um, but I think that if if Star Wars can kind of figure out that there is that there is value in um, in portraying a world that feels like you can, in fact, that real people do, in fact, live in it, Mm -hmm. that it it does have a life of its own, Um, that uh, that things are not always black and white Um, and that, you know, you don't you don't have to try so goddamn hard to be cool. But at the same time, the lesson I think that uh, that they should learn from Andor is that you can be serious. You can you can be adult and not shit on the stuff that came before. Yes, 100%. You don't have to you don't have to take stuff uh from stuff that happened previously and change it around because you don't like it. Yeah. No. Or just, you, you you think it's corny or old fashioned yeah, or yeah, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. This andor as, you know, as much as some people, you know, aren't as quote entertained by it as the original uh, movies, it fits perfectly within the universe, and it can it can coexist without any overlap, without any conflict. There is no conflict. <laughs> yeah, That's it a simply great point. reframes it rather than reinventing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I would say that Star Trek has been infantilized across I- I- the entire franchise. On one hand, you have people that are leaning into this nostalgia, and they no longer are interested in creating some kind of a credible well they're nostalgic for something they never liked well right but but (laughs) what what i would say is that star trek used to be uh and the creators don't quite understand this a very adult allegorical thoughtful show yeah they go back and they watch the drumhead and they're like well that's not really star trek or they'll go back and they'll watch my beloved immunity syndrome and well that is too serious and what they don't understand is that Star Trek, it can be a great, like Andor, a, a show that's made by adults for adults that have adult characters that appeal to everyone. Yeah. When and it's I was still in child, the same sandbox. It's still in the same sandbox. And look, what is missing from modern Star Trek, and I don't care if it's Discovery or Strange New Worlds or Prodigy or, or, or Lower Decks, is they're no longer interested in telling real stories about real people. Mm -hmm. Star Trek has been sort of moved into its own place where it's, this is the Star Trek realm. 
Star Trek is about Star Trek, right? now. That's all it is. It's just (laughs) about this, this franchise. And they don't understand that. Here's what I don't get. All IP writers should understand that if you're going to write a great story, take the IP out of it. Mm -hmm. Make your story work without the IP. Yeah. You can sprinkle in the IP later. And or they told a story about rebellion, which, as Tony Gilroy pointed out, could be the last 3,000 years of human history. Then it's easy to weave in the Star Wars of it because Star Wars is allegorical or Star Wars was based on, you know, George Lucas was taking Kurosawa or whatever. But Star Trek used to do that. You know, you wanted to tell a story about Vietnam. You made it into a private little war because standards and practices. The people that are making Star Trek now have no in- interest in doing that. It's 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 infantilized. It's turned into something 14-year-old kids want to watch. And by doing that, and not nobody that. wants to watch it. <laughs> you know, the, it, Star, what's interesting is Star Trek today isn't for anybody. Right. And 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 I I look at the and I will say this Star Trek Picard season three at least is is been made for people that love the seven seasons of Next Generation. And there's well, a lot of of both it, in it. One of the great things we see, I think, in Star Wars right now is you have Andor, but you also have um uh you you have the new shows coming out like The Acolyte and like uh, uh um with the character of yeah, the Ahsoka. Of Ahsoka that everyone loves that we love from Clone Wars and and Rebels and now she's getting live action treatment. There's more Mandalorian, so there is something kind of for everyone. So each element of the universe is being mined, uh, and it seems like um, uh, you know that's something that Star Trek can benefit from as well. If well, tonally these shows were different and examined different parts of the universe rather than maybe just trying to go back to the same well. But I mean, to your sort of to your point, yes, you know, these different shows are mining different areas of this universe, but I don't know that they're all doing it effectively. You know, for example, I love The Mandalorian for different reasons than I love Andor. Um, those two shows exist, I think, as you know, to 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 use Darren's phrasing, they exist compatibly inside the same universe yes but they're not the same universe um in the sense that they're not the same dramatic universe because they're not the same tone because the mandalorian is very interested in you know the operatic elements and it does an amazing job telling stories about those operatic elements but where you know i think the star wars franchise good lord that we're using the F word uh has has fallen down especially recently has been you know Boba Fett. What was that about other than the episodes where the Mandalorian was in it? You know, <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi. What was that about? It was it was exactly the same kind of um I'm about myself wank, you know, that we were just talking about. It's not, like those shows didn't have any reason to exist. Not to start the conversation up again. You want to say that I watched the of one which just dropped recently on Disney Plus, and it's almost like they were making a different show than the one I watched. It was it's a really good documentary about the making of the Obi Wan miniseries. Yeah. But I'm like, wow! Well, I'm like, really? Like I did that didn't come across at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, I feel that that Star Wars, the fact that they had to shoehorn Leia, a young Leia, into that Obi Wan series, why? Nonsense. Like, is that to appeal? It, it feels like look. 
these now that all of these IPs are owned by corporations, it feels that the corp you you can't define a corporation can never define great storytelling. And if they're trying to tell you that, well, we need these elements in the story in order to make it worthy of spreading out across all of our different business interests, you're never going to get a great story out of that because that's well, not how great stories are told. And a great example of that in the Star Trek world is Generations, where Paramount had a list of things that they had to do and they couldn't do. And then after the financial success that movie, our first contact, they pretty much left them alone. And for most people, people it's a big success. You know, and it certainly was financially. So it's it's very interesting. This is a much longer conversation uh, about these two franchises. It's one I'm sure we will return to again and again. Um, someday, someday <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, for fans of Inglorious Trexperts, uh, every Friday you can uh, find a new episode. This is a special episode of Dex 78. We're going to make available not only to our subscribers, but to uh, to everyone so they can see what it's like to spend a little time hanging out on deck 78 with uh with us and if you for... if you like the tone of our discussion i mean this is more a little more serious than it usually is but so is andor so <laughs> that, that's, how it, that's how it works um and if you want to uh listen to more of this uh, please, you know, consider joining us at uh, trexpertsplus.com and subscribe. Stronger with you than without you. Well, One yeah, of us. You know, One it's, it's of us. Basically, five bucks a month for the for the price of a of a half a cup of coffee. Uh, you <laughs> the price of one gallon of gas. That's right. Well, almost. Well, uh, almost. In California. <laughs> uh, but uh, look, it's uh, we we would love to have you with us on this journey. And uh, it's much more fun with you here. Trexpertsplus.com. That's where you can get the information and 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 sign up today. But uh, in meanwhile, Inglorious Trexperts will always be free. And if you like what Rob Burnett had to say, you should check him out on the Burnett Work on YouTube. And uh, that you can also find him at his uh, website. Rob, where, where, where can they find you? Uh, PostGeekSingularity.com. There you go. PostGeekSingularity.com. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? It is. That's... <laughs> you need a tiny URL. It's a it's a mini spelling test. Hold me closer, to tiny. You, uh, to keep you in line. You're assuming your listeners are smart. They know how to spell. So and and if you if you if you want to check out Steve, the 4:30 movie will be back, uh, early 2023, where you can join him as we curate fantasy theme weeks of classic films. And it's so only going to be, be Steve. It's Steve yeah, just doing every me. day. Well, I was going to say, and if you're if, if you found movie. what Steve Melching had to say with it, you can check out some of his legendary episodes of rebels and the clone wars on disney plus all streaming on disney plus and That's he right. might even get some do you get residuals on those no, no you don't no okay but he'll you get a great deal of satisfaction yes and even though uh, satisfaction and knowing that you watch them <laughs> and uh of course go and check out ashley miller's show dota dragon's blood on streaming on uh netflix and uh you can find us out in Golden Gate Park, wandering around looking for our spaceship it's on Glorious Trexperts every, uh, every Friday. And by speaking of Glorious Trexperts, this week dropped our Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home Trexperts commentary, which you don't want to miss. Because if you think we were opinionated about this, wait until you hear us talk about The Voyage Home with 20th Century Fox Studios' Steve Asbell. So that's a good one. You and next weekend, that. if you can join us in Columbus, Ohio for GalaxyCon, uh, we will be appearing there with uh, a plethora of uh, guests and fun and live. It won't us. be a hologram. It'll be live. We won't be like projected from the little droid. 
We're actually going to be on stage <laughs> and, and doing stuff, and it'll be cool. So uh, I saw Glass Onion today, by the way. How was it? I really liked it. I didn't like it as much as the first one. Rob, did you see it? I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's really good. Did There's you see my credit? It. I did not. And I stayed through the whole credits, but I missed well, your credits. It's in there, apparently. Okay, cool, cool. It's, 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 look, I love that Ryan Johnson. See, this is a little Star Wars related. Yeah. He, he's just, you know, I think, uh, you know, they give him a ton of money. And I, I, I think if it suffers from anything, is that it goes too big. You know, I love the fact that the first one was more Agatha Christie. It was more self-contained or like a really good game of Clue. But the second one's great, you know, and, and Ryan is just such a consummate filmmaker and very smart. And it's it's, it's a wonderful film. So you should go see it for one week. It's playing before it shows up on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's my recommendation about that. OK, well, this has been fun hanging on Dex. Everybody finish their drinks. I think Not it's no. uh, cl- closing time. No, <laughs> no. Oh, I'm still drinking for a few more, but we'll let everyone. Well, the Trexperts all get prettier at closing time. <laughs> we have they, to. They they gotta get, they gotta get back to their uh, to their uh, to the bridge. So uh, on behalf of uh, Robert Meyer, Burnett, Stephen Melching, Ashley, Edward Miller, Darren Doctor, and myself, Mark A. Altman. We'll see you next time on Deck Seventy Eight, and. Fire the rockets. Deck 78 is an exclusive podcast from Trexperts Plus.